morning's scripture comes from Genesis uh, 37, verses 3 through 8. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him more and more because of the dream and what he had said. This is the word of the Lord for us. I'm not sure if we have any math fans with us this morning, but let me start with a trivia question. This would be for people who are really into numbers and math. What do you call the number that is a one followed by 100 zeros? Anybody know? A one followed by one. So that's a really, really big number. So a billion has nine zeros after the one. A trillion has 12. A quadrillion has 15. Anyone know? What's one followed by 100 zeros? It's a Google. <laughs> Very good. It's a Google. So we know that in 1998, there were two graduate students at Stanford University, and they chose that number, Google, as the name for their little startup business. It was going to be a website that would help you find websites, <laughs> a search engine. And of course, today, it's the largest in the world. It is a household name. We use it as a verb. <laughs> To Google something, right? But here's the thing. From the start, these guys were dreaming big. Like really, really, really big. Google, by the way, and I'm not a numbers guy, but I, I read about it this week. Uh, a Google, the one followed by 100 zeros, is considered the first of the big numbers. <laughs> the first of the big numbers. Like, that we're talking like numbers that we can't really even comprehend, that we have a hard time even figuring out. They were dreaming really big from the start when they were just two guys with a startup company, an idea. The same thing happens, the reason I mention that, the same thing happens in the life of Joseph, who we're going to be studying together for the next several weeks. So, so Joseph, he's the 10th child in a family who wandered from Mesopotamia into Canaan. They were shepherds. They raised livestock. They lived in tents. No one would have guessed that this person, this seemingly insignificant person, would become the highest ranking official in the biggest national powerhouse of the known world, which was Egypt. No one would have guessed that, that this guy would live in the palace, that, that he would lead the world, lead his country and the surrounding nations through a crisis, a global crisis, which, which was a drought. He would save many lives. But you see, the story of Joseph doesn't just happen overnight. Same for you and I. Our, our lives and stories don't just unfold overnight. It required that Joseph would keep pursuing those God-sized dreams that he got as a young man, even when he found himself in the pit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me introduce myself. My name is John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA thrilled that you're with us today. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. You are all just looking so refreshed and 
happy this, this weekend, of course, is the time where pastors get an extra hour of preaching. <laughs> and so I'll take advantage of that. Our goal, uh, our goal for this year was to preach through the entire book of Genesis. We've gone through the whole beginning portion, through the patriarchs up to the life of Joseph. And so we've got several weeks here before Advent, and we're going we're gonna to cover the life of Joseph, and Lord willing, we will preach through uh, the book of Genesis before the year's end. It's interesting because Genesis actually, if you look at the, the entire book of Genesis, the life of Joseph that we're just now arriving at, ready to study, comprises about 25% of the entire book. It's a really significant part of Genesis. So we're going to spend the next several weeks learning about the life of Joseph. And so if you've got your Bible with you this morning, open it up. Genesis chapter 37 is where his story begins. Don't have time to recap, obviously, all of what we've done, but we know Joseph to be that 10th son of Jacob, the one who was renamed Israel. We heard Ryan read the scripture for us a few minutes ago. He's Israel. He's been renamed, but he's the son of Jacob and Rachel, the beloved wife. So he has these older brothers, and he's got a younger brother, that is Benjamin. And you remember the mother of those two boys, Joseph and Benjamin, Rachel, she died in childbirth when she was giving birth to Benjamin. We don't know the exact age of Joseph when that occurred. We have a, a rough timeline or guesstimate based on some other numbers. Best scholarship says that Joseph was around six, six years old maybe eight years old, when Benjamin was born, when his mother died. And so you realize he did have those first few years with mom, but beyond that, he grew up without a mom. But don't worry, as sad as that sounds, he had a dad, and he was the favorite of his dad. <laughs> yes, that's right. Joseph was Jacob's favorite child. What did Jacob give to Joseph? Yep, they coded, Ryan just read this scripture for us. What, what did the NIV say? An ornate robe, I think, yeah. His technicolor dream coat, <laughs> right? We've all heard of this. He's got a very special coat that's very vibrant and very obvious that he is dad's special chosen child. So I want, I want to share this with us this morning. Like for, so he's 17 years old, Joseph is. For a 17-year-old who's part of this family who do uh, livestock, Wearing a robe was not customary. <laughs> it was very unusual. In fact, in a tribe or a household or a group, only two people would have ever worn robes. The one being the head, the leader, the patriarch of the tribe, and the other being the heir. The one who's going to have the inheritance. Like, you remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. And when the son returns home, what does the father do? One of the things he does is he puts a robe on him. He's showing him... You are my beloved. You are going to be the recipient of all I have. And so this is not customary for one of the children to be wearing a robe. It designated the fact that Joseph was the favorite son. Joseph was really, as you look at their family dynamic, even though he may have been unlikely, he was the one who would then get the birthright. He was the one who would be chosen to be the heir, the leader of their clan. So Jacob, he was playing favorites. And you go, oh, well, he got that pretty honest, didn't he? Like he, he experienced that firsthand in his own 
family of origin, where his parents, Isaac, who had Esau as his favorite, Rebecca had Jacob as her favorite. So he does the same thing. He makes the same mistake of playing favorites. He chooses Joseph as his favorite one. Now, how do you suppose the other siblings in a family respond when one is designated as, hey, I like him the best? Rachel was the one I really loved. She's dead now, and I'm still kind of upset about that. And I'm going to give him this very visible symbol of the fact that I love him more. Well, it didn't go over very well. And so you see in chapter 37 of Genesis, over and over and over, the fact that the others hated Joseph. They hated him. Uh, They couldn't even, according to, I think it's verse 2, couldn't even speak a kind word to him. So they dislike him actually for multiple reasons. Because he's dad's favorite. Because even though he's the younger brother, he's given this place of prominence in their family and in their group. And to make matters worse, Joseph reports back to the father the bad things that brothers are doing. He's telling on them. So if we look there, verse 2, I hope you have your Bible in front of you. He brought their father a bad report about them. Now I've got a hot take on this. Joseph is not a tattletale. Joseph's not just this pesky little brother who runs back and says, Dad, you'll never believe what those guys did. I'm your favorite. I'm going to tell on them. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's just that squirrely little brother who's being annoying. Joseph was chosen and designated. He's going to be the one to lead this tribe. He's going to be the one to lead this family. And we can talk more about that um, not all of it's very G-rated, but like Reuben, he's the, fir- he's the firstborn, so you would expect him to be, but he had sinned against his father, and so no, not him. The next two would be Simeon and Levi. They had done uh, much wickedness in response to the treatment of their sister Dinah. It's not going to be them. Judah had his own issues, and God had other plans for him. And so Joseph is actually the one that's going to be designated as the one with the birthright. He's going to be the one. In fact, his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, we're going to see at the very, very, very end of Jacob's life, he blesses them and he actually claims them. He says to Joseph, these two boys, they're mine. So if you have other kids, they're yours, that's fine. But these two, they're like sons to me. And so we see they get basically a double, they get the double portion because of the birthright going to Joseph. And so, uh, so here's my take on, on Joseph. Is, is Joseph here, he's the designated leader of his tribe and family. And we're going to see over the course of his life, he proves to be unparalleled in his leadership, in his management of people and resources, in his perseverance, his endurance in the face of challenges. Like this is the kind of guy who is rooted and stable. He's on a mission. Yeah, he's 17 years old. But he is going to help his entire family be saved when the the drought comes. He's going to basically restore fortune to the land of Egypt and save the surrounding regions. And so when things are done, so so when he's 17 and he's with the brothers and they're supposed to be watering the sheep. The scriptures don't say what the bad report was. So we're left to sort of guess there. uh, What were they doing? I mean, they were supposed to be caring for the sheep, and so you imagine they just didn't feed them right, they weren't watching over them well, they didn't ward off the wolves, they slaughtered one and had a little pork chop, you know, pork chop barbecue out there, they didn't give them the right water. We don't know what it was he was bringing a bad report about. 
But Joseph is the kind of guy who sees, okay, these brothers of mine, they're not managing the flocks the way they're supposed to be. And so I need to do something about it. And so, I mean, if you think about it, his response is actually very wise. Because they're not going to respect him. So if Joseph tries to say, hey, guys, you shouldn't be doing that, they're going to be like, yeah, forget you. We don't care about you. We hate you. We're not going to listen to you. It's like, I got to go to dad. If I tell dad, he is going to make sure this is right. He's going to hold them accountable. So I don't see Joseph as this petulant, bratty little tattletale. I see him as a guy who is diligent and who is faithful with the things that are entrusted to him. And and I'll just say this. I, I feel like this is a powerful lesson, especially for young people. You have dreams of doing great things. You you want to be entrusted with things that are important and lofty? Then be faithful with what God is giving you right now. If you're on a sports team, you show up early for practice and you give it all on the field. In your homework, in your chores, in your obedience to your parents, when you're going to volunteer and help here at church or somewhere else in the community, do your best. Because when you are faithful with the little things, God entrusts to you increasingly bigger things. So be faithful today. This is what Joseph is doing. He's being faithful today to say, that's not the water for them. That's not the right grass. This isn't the right pasture. We we want this flock to be healthy. We've been entrusted with this flock. Let's do what's right. So there's a powerful lesson here, whether you're young or old. When you see something that's wrong when you see something that you know is not being done the right way and maybe that's bullying maybe that's mistreatment of someone else you don't look the other way you don't raise your eyebrow like oh boy gee you speak up and you say no that is not right because god's going to reward you for that because if you can't be faithful even with those small things making sure the sheep get their water he's certainly not going to put you in the palace in egypt responsible for the lives of an entire region that's my take on Joseph as a young man giving a bad report about his older brothers. He was a man who was diligent and faithful. God had great things in store for him. And it didn't just happen overnight. It didn't just happen when he showed up at the palace one day. It showed up when he was a boy and he was responsible and saying, you know what, one day I'm going to be the leader of this family. And I've got the robe that shows it. And I'm going to make decisions that are wise and that honor God, that show good faithful stewardship. But his brothers didn't like that very much. <laughs> Reminds me of the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. So the little boy, Calvin, he's got a roadside business. And he's offering a swift kick in the bottom for just $1. And, of course, Hobbes, his friend, says, how's business? And he says, terrible. He says, I can't understand it. Everybody I know needs what I'm selling. <laughs> like, this is the mentality of Joseph. He says, you don't want to take care of the flocks the way they're supposed to be cared for? You don't want to see them flourish and grow. You don't want to see our family's wealth and and prominence grow and be established. You you don't care. Don't you want to get better? Like this is the mentality of Joseph. Be better. Be faithful with what God has given you today because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. So let's get into the text then talking about his dreams. Ryan read for us the first one. It's sheaves of grain. And the members of his family have a sheaves of grain, sheep of grain, and they bow down to his. <laughs> hmm. So then uh, let's read the, the second one. So uh, verse 9. So Genesis 37, starting in verse 9, it says he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. 
And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Again, I think Joseph is a really sincere guy. I think he has these dreams, and he's grappling with, what do these mean? And so he shares it with his family. But it only ostracizes him. Like, the ones closest to him are the ones who reject him and who betray him. And that happens in a really graphic way in a story that unfolds here later in the chapter. So, the brothers are away. They've got the flocks. They're supposed to be caring for them. So, we already know they're not real faithful with what they're supposed to be doing there. And then, they go so far as Shechem. Now, Jacob knows about Shechem. Remember, he went there instead of going to Bethel. He knows all about the people of Shechem and what they do. And he, that's no place for him and his family. And so what Jacob does is he sends Joseph. Also, I would say, I can, we can read between the lines there a little bit and say, Joseph probably wasn't the kind of guy who was constantly in the field doing the manual labor. Most likely, he stayed home and was studying. He probably had a tutor. He was learning. He was, like, getting an education. Because you're, he's being prepared for a leadership role. But anyway, what happens here is Jacob sends him out. Hey, Joseph, you got to go, like, go check on your brothers because they're out there. I, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know where they are exactly. They're, they're probably where they shouldn't be. And so Joseph goes. It's a long journey. In fact, Joseph has to stop and ask directions. Hey, where are my brothers? Where are the flocks that they're caring for? And he spends all this time looking for them, and he finally finds them. So he is probably totally exhausted, weary from the journey, hot, tired. And really, I think even this minor episode, this is not what this morning's sermon is really about, but we're, we're beginning this morning by just simply looking at who is this person, the, the life of Joseph. I think even this minor episode where he perseveres to find his brothers speaks to the character of Joseph. These were people who hated him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. They're about to do the worst, but, and yet he pressed on to find them. I feel like I would have given up that search long before Joseph did. But his father had given him the order. And again, he's the kind of guy who says, dad told me to find them. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to say, oh, they weren't there because they had actually moved on to Dothan. He's going to say, dad sent me to find them. And I'm going to make sure they're okay, and I'm going to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so, so Joseph finds them. He presses on. He finds them. And when he's a long way off, his brothers see him. Oh, here comes Joseph. And it says they plot to kill him. They're so frustrated. They're so angry. They're so annoyed. They're going to kill their own brother. So the oldest, Reuben, is out there with them, and he says, no, 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 we shouldn't actually kill him. Let's just throw him into this cistern or well. Uh, let's, re- let's jump down, starting in verse 23. And this, this is just a heart-wrenching scene. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. How callous do you have to be? How much hatred has to reside in your heart to attack your own brother. And and it's sickening. Later on in the story, like Joseph and his brothers are reunited. You guys know the story, I think. They admit, they confess that they're, they're reflecting on this incident where they mistreated their brother. They say he was distressed and pleaded with them for his life. This is not just playing around. This is a brutal attack. And he's begging them, don't do this. What are you doing? Guys, stop. And they strip him of his clothes and they throw him into this cistern. So again, this is a well. It says it was empty. There's probably mud at the bottom. And so you get thrown into one of these things and you stick in the mud. You are not getting out. You're left there to die. And did you notice, after they've done this heinous thing, Amidst his pleas and desperate cries for mercy. Guys, help. Guys, stop. Please. One of you. Any of you. And again, this is a band of ten brothers. Not one of them says, guys, this is, this is messed up. They sit down to have a picnic lunch. To the chorus of Joseph calling up from the cistern of like, I'm going to die in here. It's sick. And then it just so happens, you know, God's providence is, here comes this caravan. Oh, and they don't look like they're, they're uh, poor. They look like they're loaded with lots of resources. So they might be interested in purchasing Joseph. And so they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Now Joseph is gone. We've sold him. We've got to cover this up somehow because dad's going to ask about Joseph. We know dad's going to say, where's your brother? He's not going to believe it if we say he just ran off. One of the rest of us, dad might go for that story. Oh, yeah, he, just, he lost interest. Who knows where he went? Eh, joined in with a band of Midianites going to Egypt. Not Joseph. Dad's not going to believe that. And so begins the cover-up. Verse 31. Here's what they do. They got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat. And they dipped the robe in the blood. And then they took the ornate robe back to their father and they said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it. And he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. They tricked old dad. They tricked the trickster. (laughs) He thinks Joseph is dead. He's been mauled by some wild animal. And I say, how ironic. That years earlier, Jacob uses the skin of a goat to deceive his father Isaac into thinking he was his brother Esau to steal the blessing. And now, his own sons are using the skin of a goat to deceive him into thinking that Joseph is dead. Joseph had such big dreams, literally. (laughs) Literally, God gave him these dreams that he was kind of sorting out of, what what could this mean? Like, why why are the sheaves bowing down to mine? 
Why, why are the, the, the celestial uh, sun and moon and stars, like why am I the, in this place of prominence? He had these big dreams. Maybe God has big things in store for me. And yet here he is. Doesn't seem like he's achieving those dreams, does it? He's been betrayed by his own flesh and blood. He's been stuck in a pit, sold for 20 pieces of silver. Boy, doesn't it hurt when someone close to you betrays you? There's an old adage that says the saddest thing about betrayal is never comes from your enemies. That's what Joseph experienced. But sometimes what looks like a setback is actually God's plan unfolding. (laughs) What looks like a setback is actually God at work orchestrating what he wants to take place. Like the story I heard about a guy who was marooned on an island. He's living on coconuts. He built himself a shelter because there were these pelting rains that, that would sting his skin and hurt very badly. So he's got a shelter built. He manages to make a fire. And one day he sees a ship that's passing. And so he grabs a torch and he begins waving it frantically. He wants to, to signal the ship, please come rescue me. And the ship doesn't seem to see him, and it turns and it goes away. And in his frantic waving of the torch, he sets his hut on fire. Now all is lost. The pelting rains. I'm now exposed to the elements. The ship is leaving, but then lo and behold, the ship turns. And it comes back, and it rescues him. And the captain says, well, that was a genius move, lighting your hut on fire. We saw your signal fire. That's how you got rescued. (laughs) What seemed like the worst thing in the world actually ended up being the thing that saved him. And so I have a question for you today. What do you do when your life is in the pit? What do you do when you hit that roadblock? God has given you a dream. You have aspirations of doing these things, but you are nowhere near that, seemingly. Well, I've got three encouragements for us today as we look at the life of Joseph when he was in the pit, when he was betrayed. And the first is to recognize that people will let you down. (laughs) You say, I thought you said you had encouragements for us. How's that an encouragement? (laughs) The people are going to let you down. That sounds pretty cynical to me. No, it's an encouragement. Because far too often we put our hope, we put stock in what people think and trying to win the approval of others. And I'm just here to say that's not what matters. Like, like we're all sinners and we're all going to disappoint one another. Like if you have a relationship with someone else, the time is going to come where they disappoint you, where they let you down. And so it's good for us to recognize that you would have thought that Joseph could count on his brothers, maybe pick on him and tease him a little bit, you know, make some jokes about his robe or how he's daddy's favorite, but that they would have his back, but they didn't. They're the, they're the ones who, who turned their backs on him, who mistreated him, who betrayed him. And you don't even 100% know what their motivation was. So, like, there are a couple different options. Did his brothers think that he was crazy? Yeah, right. We'll bow down to you. Yeah, right. You, one of the runts of the family, are going to do all these great and lofty things. Is that what made them so angry, or is it the opposite? They're like, yeah, you know what? That's probably going to come true. <laughs> Like, like he has this uncanny ability to like make decisions and lead and be faithful. Like, even though he's 17, like he, he, he makes manly decisions. 
Maybe it was just the opposite. Maybe it was they were so fearful that what his dreams were were actually going to come true that they wanted to stop those things from happening. We don't want to bow down to him. Let's just take him out of the equation. We don't know exactly what their uh, motivation was. But this story is just a stark. I mean, the mistreatment of Joseph by his brothers is a stark and graphic illustration of the fact that people will let you down. And again, I'm not asking us to become cynical or jaded toward humanity. (laughs) I simply want us to recognize people are not perfect. All of us make mistakes and sin. We're going to disappoint one another. Let me tell you a story this morning. It's the story of a man named Mark. His mother named him that, hoping that he too would tell the gospel truth. But 13th century Europeans found it impossible to believe Mark's tales. He told stories of an epic journey, nearly a quarter of a century, and it began when he was only 17 years old. You see, he said that he saw the Russian tundra, that he crossed the rugged mountains of Afghanistan, the wastelands of Persia, that he said he went over the top of the world through the Himalayas. He said he went to China. He would have been the very first European to do so. And through this amazing set of circumstances and stories that he told, he became the favorite of the most powerful ruler on the planet Earth, Kublai Khan. He he told of cities he saw in China that would make European capitals look like dwarfs. He described a banquet room that could seat 6,000 people and each had a gold plate at its spot. He told them about paper money, about gunpowder. He described this Chinese culinary delicacy called pasta long before it was ever used in Italy. He said he spent 17 years there as an officer of the Khan's court. He had traveled to places that no European would go or would see for another 500 years. And then Mark came home. Happened to be in Venice, Italy. And he came home loaded with gold and silk and spices, and he told his stories. And people did not believe him. They discredited him. In fact, he was rebuked by the, by the priest. The priest said, you are a liar. You must recant. You must seek forgiveness. Even on his deathbed, his family and his friends, they, they were begging him, recant these tales and these myths you've told, this place that you called China. And he mustered all the strength he had, and he spoke his final words. I have not even told you half of what I saw. So 13th century Europeans rejected his tales. They said he was a lunatic. But history has proven them true. You can read about them in a book called The Marvels of the World by Marco Polo. People are going to let you down. They're going to discredit you. They're going to dishonor you. They're going to mistreat you. It's helpful for us to recognize that and embrace that as we pursue not the accolades of humans, but only what God thinks of us. Jesus says in John 2.24, he wouldn't entrust himself to people because he knew them. (laughs) We can't look to others for our source of hope or satisfaction. If we do, we're only going to be disappointed. So yes, people are going to let us down. 
But there's another encouragement I'm bringing this morning, and that is that God will see you through. Joseph's story is amazing. I love this story. I'm excited for these next several weeks as we walk through it. It's got so many ups and downs. You can't make this stuff up. You know, it's like, like uh, truth really is stranger than fiction. Joseph's brothers, they would have killed him, but God uses Reuben to just sort of barely speak up and save his life. And as we follow his story over the next several weeks, we're going to see the Lord is with him. In fact, the Lord has Joseph right where he wants him to be. So the last verse of this passage in Genesis 37 says, The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. He's placed right where God wants him to be. He's in Egypt. This is actually part of what God foretold Abraham. So if we look back in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord says in verses 13 and 14 to Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. God is unfolding his plan. So we see here, God has Joseph right where he wants him to be, and God is with him, and God will see him through. Why? Because God's in control. Again, the question for us this morning is, how do I respond when when I'm in the pit? How do I respond when I've been betrayed? How do I respond when it seems like I'm just hitting dead ends and I'm not accomplishing all the great things that I was hoping, the God-given dreams that are on my heart? Well, I respond by trusting that God is going to see me through, by believing that God is in control even when I can't see it. So here's what Hebrews 13, 5 says. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Through the hardships you endure, he'll develop your character. He may even use the circumstances of your life as a way to bless others. That's what he does in the life of Joseph. Like through Joseph being placed in Egypt, he's going to save his entire family and an entire region. And he's going to do what? He's going to build up the wealth of Egypt. And you think, well, wait a minute. Those aren't God's people. Why does God want to build up the wealth of Egypt? Because he's going to be enslaved there. He and his people for 400 years. And when they leave, what are they going to take? All the valuables and all the wealth of Egypt. This is God carrying out his plan. He is putting pieces in place. So when Joseph finds himself at the bottom of that pit, God is in control. And God was with him in that place. So yeah, he gets sold as a slave out of the pit, but now he's a slave sold into Egypt. We're going to see next week. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. But with every setback, Joseph is actually getting closer to the throne, getting closer to the palace, getting closer to the place where God ultimately is going to use him to carry out that God-sized dream, that Google-type number of dream that he had for Joseph's life. Also, I can't do a sermon on Joseph without pointing out, there are so many parallels and 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 foreshadowings in the life of Joseph that point us to Jesus. But it's, it, it is, Jesus is all over this story as we look at the life of Joseph and how he was treated and how he operated. So Joseph was rejected by others. Well, so was Jesus. We know that Jesus suffered the ultimate in humiliation when he was nailed to the cross. 
And think about that. When Jesus was crucified, his followers were heartbroken. Like, oh, it's over. It's done. This setback can't be overcome. Like, this dream that we had, like, it's, it's failed. This is a huge setback in their minds. But the cross is the very thing God used to save us from our sins. That now Jesus sits at the right hand of God in that place of all authority. Just like Joseph, Jesus was sold for pieces of silver. Jesus was stripped of his robe. He was placed in an empty cavern. (laughs) But he was on his way to the throne. Like the life of Joseph in so many ways is a picture that is to come of Jesus Christ. And what good news that we can call on the name of Jesus, that he will save us, that if we put our faith in him, we have hope for eternity, that he will indeed rescue us. So when we're in the pit, yes, we're aware of the fact that people are going to let us down, but God will see us through. And therefore, here's our final encouragement this morning. We keep walking by faith. You don't give up. You don't stop. You don't lose heart. You trust God's plan. And yes, you even trust God's timing. You don't give up on that vision that God has placed on your heart. You, in fact, you don't let anything stop you from pursuing God's call in your life. So you don't stop when others betray you. You don't stop when things don't unfold the way you had hoped. You don't stop when it doesn't happen immediately. You press on. You keep walking by faith. And yes, there are going to be setbacks along the way. We see that in the life of Joseph. That's really his story. Like this amazing journey from the pit to the palace. And yet all along the way, there are setbacks and he's learning and he's growing. But are you going to allow those setbacks in your life to stop you from pursuing your God-given dreams? Because for so many, we just quit. We just give up. We just say, well, maybe I heard it wrong. Maybe I can't do it. Maybe God's not able. But if we walk by faith, we say... Boy, this is really hard. It's going to take a move of God to accomplish what he has said. But I trust him. And I believe he can do those things. And so therefore, my part is not to see that it gets done. My part is to simply say, I'm going to take the next step forward. I'm going to continue to walk by faith. Because listen, my friend, I want you to hear this. Maybe the journey you are on is just the one God has for you. You say, boy, that's pretty rotten. If God's journey for Joseph was getting stripped and beaten and thrown into a well by his own brothers and feeling that betrayal and rejection. Yeah. It was also part of God's plan that his one and only son, the perfect lamb of God, would face that same treatment and more. Spat upon, struck, cursed, hung on a tree. Because out of that ugliness, God brings something beautiful. And so maybe the journey you're on is just the one that God has for you. Because it's not a story of how you can do anything. It's a story of you choose to believe God and he can do anything. So keep walking by faith. Keep believing that God is going to shape you and mold you and prepare you for the mission that he has for you. I love it that in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Joseph is mentioned. He is mentioned. And and, and you go, wow. Through all of what he endured, 
because he walked by faith. He pressed on through it all, trusting God, and you can too. You can trust him with your life. Like if if God told Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. 400 years, slaves to other people, they're going to be rich and wealthy, but then you're going to exit that place and you are going to plunder them and take them for all they're worth. If God saw that and begins putting it in place and uses Joseph's brothers to betray him in order to accomplish it, then listen, God can see well beyond your pit as well. Do you trust that he's the one orchestrating your life? Are you willing to continue walking in obedience, walking by faith, trusting God to bring about his marvelous plan for you no matter what happens? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, how grateful we are to be your people, to be on mission for you. And Lord, I confess this morning to so often putting that on my own shoulders. Like, I'm going to do great things for you, God. Lord, it's you who does great things. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you to say, you've called us to be obedient to you and to walk by faith. To leave the rest to you and then to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. And so Lord, we thank you for the life of Joseph for the many lessons we learn and for the picture that he paints of Jesus, the one who suffered and endured so much that looked like a setback but was indeed your plan unfolding. Oh God, would you give us faith to trust you with today and tomorrow and what lies ahead knowing that you are carrying out your plan for our lives. And so Lord, we choose today to take the next step of faith. Lord, help us not be discouraged or grow weary, but by your Holy Spirit, give us hope and breath and life that we might serve you, that we might speak of you. For the promises you made to Abraham and the promises you made to Joseph and the promises you make to us today, Lord that you keep your promises, that you are a faithful God. And so we cling to your word, grateful for what you're doing in our lives, through the challenges, when we're in the pit, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. We thank you and bless you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.